0: No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Delaware Spotlight, the weekly look at the news and events going on around the state. I'm your host, Earl Holland. And this week, we'll talk with Lindsay Felch, daughter of late artist Bernard Felch, whose works will be on display at the Delaware College of Art and Design's Tony and Stuart B. Young Gallery. The free exhibit, called Painting, Sculpture and Ceramics by Bernie Felch, is on display through January 19th. This week, my guest is Ms. Lindsay Felch. She is here to discuss the work of her father, Bernie Felch, as it is on display at the Delaware College of Art and Design through January 19th. How are you today, Ms. Felch? Very well, thank you. Thank you for coming to Delaware Spotlight and discussing this uh, exhibit that is featuring your father's work. Starting off, what led to your decision to put some of your father's work on display?
1: Well, I wrote a book about his work and his life called The Art of Bernie Felch. And it got an opening show at the Westchester University's John Baker Gallery two years ago. And it got a lot of notice. And one of the people that noticed it had the book and was friends with the interim president of DCAD, John Hawkins. And he showed him the book and he just slipped over it and contacted me to see if they could do another show and their main gallery in Wilmington. So that's how that happened. The first show that I did two years ago was a true retrospective starting in 1952 and went all the way to his very last painting in 2008. And this one, I took a little bit different tact in that this one's more about grouping. It does have the same kind of range as far as years are concerned, but I put groupings together of still life, landscapes, abstract, figurative, nudes, things like that in more of a grouping and thematically as opposed to a retrospective.
0: How did your father get started in art and painting and sculpturing and ceramics?
1: Well, he was born in 1925 and started out in a blue collar family and went to Williams with the idea that he would get a degree in English. He always loved painting as a kid. He even has a little statement from his kindergarten teacher saying, watch this child. He's very good in art, which he kept and always got a chuckle out of. But he got drafted into World War II. From Williams and he did his tour in Europe and during that time he was on the front lines, which was horrendous but he did have the opportunity on furloughs to travel to Paris and to other cities as he traveled around with the army and he was blown away by the architecture the art he just sucked it all in and so when the war was over he was still in Europe and at that time, they did a very interesting thing in that they decided that the soldiers, all being around 18 or 19 years old, were not going to come back in very good emotional state. So they set up schools and dad went to the one in Shreverham, England. that was actually built by German POWs in six months. And when he was there, he had the opportunity to just decide what he wanted to take. So he just took everything art. And that's when it just really dawned on him that this was his life's calling, his life's love, his life's direction. And so when he eventually came back to Williams, he changed his majors. He still majored in English, but he took a double major in art. And that's how he started his career. And he made art until the day he died in 2008.
0: What were some of the artists that were some of his biggest influences?
1: I would say Picasso, Braque, Gris, Cubist artists. When he graduated from Williams, he went back to Europe and went to school in Paris and then also into Italy. And so he met a lot of artists who had gone to the schools that he attended in Paris. He met Jacques Lipschitz, who was another generation older than he was, and so he was influenced by him. He read and went to museums constantly, so he was always looking and learning, and he reached out to many artists as well, just called them up on the phone, dropped in, and then became basically pen pals. He was an avid letter writer. So he absorbed a lot, but he challenged himself constantly too, both in media directions. He was a master potter. He was a sculptor in wood, marble, and ceramic. He did architectural brick sculptures that were supporting architectural walls for both interior and exterior pieces. He has a major piece at the Doerr Art Museum, which I actually helped him on for a month and numerous other ones around town in Wilmington and also in Philadelphia and other places out in Pennsylvania, Connecticut and other architectural walls. So he was a true Renaissance man. He just loves working with his hands and challenging new methods, new techniques, new directions, and he always had fun with it. He just loved making art.
0: I know you talked about his interest in doing a lot of different things. What do you think was the main force in driving him to try to learn how to do different skills?
1: I think it was just a curiosity. He never looked at anything as something that he couldn't do. It was always taking on challenges. Sometimes he scratched his head. Oh, did I get over my head here? But he loved being challenged by things and had an immense curiosity about pretty much everything. He would find something and then he would do research on it and try things.
0: How did your dad influence you getting into art?
1: Well, my sisters and I grew up surrounded by art and artists and musicians, and he had a very amazing ability to keep friends for decades and decades and decades. So many of his friends that he met during his travels in Europe when he graduated from Williams were his friends to the end of his days. So we would travel to their houses for vacations and things and vice versa. And they were mostly all artists or musicians or both. And so we just grew up, you know, surrounded by eating off of handmade plates and handmade bowls and pushing the art away and, you know, it became just part of our normal everyday world, which was probably an unusual. Most people did not grow up like that. And we always made things, you know, our our sort of pastime things, we were given a pile of clay and say, go for it. And we had the tools and the potter's wheels and the kiln and everything to be able to do that. So it was just part of my world and both my sisters. My one sister is an artist, is a painter. So kind of just came easily. And I went to Temple and graduated from Temple with a BFA and tried something else because at that time, being an artist wasn't exactly an easy way to make a living and having seen dad struggle with keeping Uh, you know, he was a teacher too, which he loved. He loved dearly. He was an art teacher. So that's really how he made his living. He wasn't really someone who cared too much about selling his artwork. He just really liked making it and having shows. And if it sold great, if it didn't great too, but he did try to show as much as possible, but he wasn't really that interested in it. So when I graduated from art school, I realized there wasn't really a whole lot of places you could go with that. So I actually went into the business world and learned how to be a buyer for the pottery barn and other kinds of business direction, which I found was very helpful in the end when I became an art consultant because I already had the business background. So it was a good combination, actually. So I've been doing that for 33 years.
0: I know you mentioned a little earlier your father got into teaching, and I know a lengthy resume, Chair the fine arts department at Lincoln University and taught at different places, including Tattnall. What mm-hmm. was it about teaching that he loved?
1: He was an extraordinary teacher. I have had so many people because of these shows and because of the book and because of other factors come up to me and say, I had your dad. He is the reason that I am doing what I am doing today. And he influenced so many people. One of the things that was extraordinary about him was that he would treat this big blob of something that somebody made just as reverently as a beautiful, skilled, finished product of a perfect pot. He would treat it exactly the same way, encourage his students. He would refine it, maybe hollow out the inside so it didn't blow up and kill, but he would never poo-poo somebody's um, efforts at all. And I think that that gave his students, who were maybe nervous or self conscientious about expressing themselves, really, the freedom of just saying, okay, how about this? And he'd, you know, push them a little bit further if he thought that was the right way, or he'll just say, Okay, well, start over again or do something that was very constructive as far as teaching. And he loved it. He loved the research. He he taught art history. He loved doing the research on it, the slides, he loved doing the field trips and taking kids to sometimes museums and things that they had never experienced before. And he found that exhilarating, really.
0: Now, I know a lot of your father's works are on display at a multitude of places around the area. I believe New Jersey, Pennsylvania, of course, in the state of Delaware. To be able to see a lot of those works around in different places and even in private collections, what does that say about the work that he did and just sort of the interest that people took into it?
1: I would say that was a successful career in art if your art lives past you.
0: Among some of the works that are on, I guess, display in different places, in addition to uh, some of his brick works, what are some of the different places around the area that some of his works are on display at?
1: Well, the Delaware Art Museum has a number of his pieces. There's the wall, the um, in the park brick wall, which is a huge, big, big, big brick, very deep relief sculpture that's in the courtyard of the art museum. They also have a totem, a stele in the Sculpture Garden, which is an exterior piece, and they have a wood sculpture and some ceramics and a couple other things, I think. They might not all be on display at all times, but the two sculptures are for sure. There's a big, one of his earliest walls was the Bell Telephone Wall, which is in Wilmington, which is a big concrete wall, actually. It's very geometric and sort of more about... Wires and communications and things like that, which is, I think it's on Tatnall Street, and the Family Service Building, which I don't think is called a family service building anymore, but I could be wrong about that. And that's in Wilmington and on Pine Street in Philadelphia. He did a whole series of walls for row houses there. And there's an amazing wall, and there's a number of pieces at the Rehoboth Art League in Rehoboth. there's an arch and a couch and a hassock all made out of brick. That was a commissioned piece, and that's outside, so you can see it at any time of year. And lots of other ones that aren't coming to mind at the moment, but those are some. And, of course, the show is a very good example of his work about showing how drawing goes from paper to clay to tile. So it's a very fluid motion between the medium gestures. His wood also really are very complementary to the gestures in watercolor oils.
0: What was your father's process when it came to creating works? I always go back to the perception of some of the sculptors during the Renaissance era that talked about they saw the block and they were just trying to free their sculpture from the block. What was his process?
1: Uh, I think his process was what was in front of him. If he was challenged by a commission... That would get his brain going in that direction if he had a group of friends that consistently got together on a pretty much monthly basis and they would hire a model and split the cost of that and do life drawings. And he loved the camaraderie and they were all professional artists and hysterical and really smart and great. And he loved that, but also he loved the process of doing croquis, which are very fast sketches. So you can just have to get the figure and, it, and its movement in a very quick way. So it's a learning skill and it helps you kind of loosen your hand. And he loved doing that. And then he would take those and actually work them into collages or develop them a little bit more. So just the inspiration of getting together with a group of fellow artists and doing that was inspirational. He traveled every summer because of Goulding off and He painted when he was away more than he painted when he was home. And I think that that might just be because he had the time and he wasn't looking at all the other mediums staring at him and he had his paints with him. So I think that was probably part of it. But he also loved the different towns and the landscapes and the different qualities of light and uh, being with friends. And so he painted hundreds of sketchbooks and then sometimes worked them back when he got back home in the studio. He would work those up and did collages with them and work them into bigger paintings. And sometimes he just left them in the sketchbooks and collected bits of candy wrappers to go on them or something and make them into other different kinds of collages. He loved sort of having fun with that. So I think his brain constantly was making something, whether it was working on his home, which was a church in Landenburg, an old Catholic church, and building that, or with my stepmom, uh, Roz DuPont, collecting books and traveling with the book fairs and things like that that she did. He was always thinking and doing and trying, and everything was an inspiration to him.
0: When it comes to this exhibit, putting it all together, deciding which ones to use, what went into that decision?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Well, I wanted it to be different than the other exhibit, which, like I said, was a true retrospective and I wanted to use new pieces for that. So I spent a long time going through flat files of pieces that I had never seen before. Actually, there were hundreds of them and trying with hopefully a trained eye to pick out the ones that were the strongest,
0: but also Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void rep prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: So that represented his intermedia work. So I tried to pull pieces that were good examples of a landscape, but also examples where I have some ceramics that he drew in a scrofito on the sides of the pots, landscapes or figures or something like that. So I tried to make it work all together, but also have little gems by themselves.
0: What is something that you hope that people who come and see the exhibit will take away from it?
1: I hope everyone goes away with something which is always, you know, you can't really uh, tell people how to think about art. But I hope they go away with something that they remember. But one of the responses that I've gotten over and over again as people walk into this show and also the other show is one guy did this and they're blown away by the breadth of it, the skill in each medium that he mastered each, he mastered watercolors, he mastered oils, he mastered pottery, he mastered each one is equally good and strong. And when you look at it as a a life, it's pretty extraordinary. So that's just how broad it was. And I don't think even people that knew him very well, that hadn't gone to the church or that knew him at dinners or parties or things like that, had any idea that, for instance, his earlier works were really tight, classic oil paintings of, you know, traditional landscapes and still lives that were amazing, but completely different than the work that he evolved into over the years. So I think it really opened people's eyes up to really what a fabulous artist he really was, even though they might have known, you know, he taught pottery, so they knew his pottery, but they might not have known his painting. And I think people were like, I had no idea. And that was really a lot of people's comments. I had no idea that he he could do all this. But also take away that what a life well spent and just the joy of making things and the fun that he had. And it does come through in his work that some of it is he puts little funny things in just because he had a great sense of humor. And it wasn't all serious to him. It was he wanted it to be alive and alive with everything that goes with life. So I hope people just can see it and enjoy it, really.
0: A little earlier, you mentioned as he tried to learn the different disciplines, And you mentioned that maybe there were some that he thought, maybe it got a little in over my head on. What were some of the ones that he felt may have been the most challenging at the time before mastering them?
1: Well, I do remember the Delaware Art Museum Commission, they gave him the challenge. And as far as the space was concerned, and he had to come up what his ideas were, both in medium and structurally. And it was a massive undertaking and both physically and mentally, and also making sure that it came in on budget, which quite frankly was not all that great, which didn't really matter to him. He just really wanted to make this wonderful piece. And it was a, a huge undertaking, not only like how do you get each one of those bricks weighs like 20 pounds, how do you make this work with the right kind of cement and the right kind of vapor barriers in the back and just the technical parts of that. And when he, thought about it and just the physical bringing enough bricks onto a pallet and then carrying them all and carving them all and then numbering them all and painting them all and carving out the back and then trucking them to the kills outside of York, Glengarry Brick Company, and then bringing them back. And we dutifully number every single one of the 900 and plus bricks that are incredibly heavy and put them lovingly in order on the pallets and when we got them back the brick company delivered it to the Delaware Art Museum and they were completely out of order and none of the bricks were like a regular brick shape they were all over the board so we looked at this pile of a ton of bricks saying where's number one on this enormous, incredibly heavy puzzle, basically. So just physically, how do you do this? And they made a tent for us to work under, and we worked up until almost a day of the opening, which was March 1st. So we worked when it was really, really cold, and we were worried about the mortar being too cold, and it was a huge undertaking, but he figured it out. I helped, but he figured it out. That's the kind of thing it's like, okay, I got the job. Now what? (laughs)
0: To you, what do you feel like maybe the biggest misconception is about creating art?
1: Uh, um, I think that most people don't know. As an artist, it's kind of like a curse. You are miserable when you're not doing it, and you're miserable if it doesn't go well when you're doing it, but there's no way you're not going to do it. And people might not understand the incredible sacrifices that artists have to make in terms of it's just not that easy to make a living. And so you have to sacrifice your time. It's a very self-indulgent. Some people, it's very selfish, actually. You have to think. You can't be disturbed a lot of times. I mean, just generalizing, a lot of artists are different, of course. But I think that regular people who are not artists might not understand the incredible passion that it is, and you just can't not do it. There's just no way You can't make art. And having to go into the real world, so to speak, and make a living doing something that is not as creative as your mind is, is pretty hard for a lot of artists to do. So maybe that might be a misconception for most people that they don't understand why people make art. You know, why would you do that if they don't understand the image that they're looking at? They might say, why would you want to do that? And that's a step to another place for an artist a lot of times. And there's just something ingrained. You cannot not do it.
0: Who are some of the people who were influenced by your father's work?
1: Uh, I would say anybody who took any of his classes over the years took something away with them from his classes, his talks, his mentoring. His, he was a very good with people as far as trying to pull out what maybe they didn't see within them. And I think anybody who took his classes was influenced him in some way. Even if they didn't make art later on, they enjoyed it.
0: As we start drawing to a close, I have to ask, what do you think your father's legacy will be?
1: Well, it's hard to say, but I've been around artists in various stages. You know, some are highly successful in big New York galleries and some are not. And that doesn't mean that they're not as good or as talented or as worthy. It's just a different approach to how they took their life and, and what luck they had in meeting the right person at the right time or a lot of different factors in that. I hope that his work finds homes i present presented out there, and I hope that um, people enjoy it. That's really all you can ask, actually. I doubt whether he's going to be the next artist who's found by some miraculous person someplace. That fantasy doesn't really happen, though it might. Who knows? I just hope that his works that are out there can stay there. There have been works over the years that he's done commissions for, like um, the uh, Bank of Delaware on Union Street. He did a wonderful, very large brick wall sculpture for them in a number of segments, and they tore the building down and the wall went with it. So you never know. He wasn't actually too upset about it, to tell you the truth.
0: One thing I wanted to ask before we wrap this up was about the book that you wrote about your father. How long did it take to put everything together? And what is the best way people can get the book?
1: Uh, It took four years, a little over four years. And I worked with a book designer and a photographer who's project manager and bid it out to a number of different publishers. So it was a very interesting project. It was a lot more work than I had anticipated. It was hard to edit because there was so much, but I'm pretty proud of how it came out and have gotten a great response from people as well. I think it's a pretty broad range and it's also an interesting sort of a story of a person who had a fairly interesting life and has beautiful photographs throughout. They were all professionally done, And I think it's available at the Art Museum and the DCAD has it or they can contact me and I can get them a copy. And I hope that's another way of maybe broadening how many people actually see his work is through the book. So it might reach people that might not be able to see his work.
0: Well, Ms. Fauci, I do appreciate all of your time coming to Delaware Spotlight and discussing your father's work as well as his influences and the exhibit as well.
1: I appreciate the time to talk about him. Thank you very
0: much. You're listening to Delaware Spotlight. sculpture and ceramics by bernie felch is on display at the delaware college of art and designs tony and Stuart b young gallery through saturday january 19th hours for the gallery are monday through friday 10 a.m to 7 p.m and weekends from 10 a.m to 4 p.m i'd like to thank my guest lindsey felch for coming in and sharing information about the life of her father bernie felch if you have a story or special event coming up that benefits things going on around the state let us know you can email me at earlholland at iheartmedia.com This is Earl Holland, and thank you for listening to Delaware Spotlight. Have a great week. 18- us.